0: Hello, everyone. My name is Kenny hawsey with the PwC Middle East Energy Utilities and Resources Tax Team. Welcome to the first of a series of podcasts by T- PwC Middle East on transfer pricing matters within the sector. This podcast series provides some initial insights on transfer pricing implications for Middle East business within the EU and R sector. This initial podcast will be followed by further sessions that will entail dissecting specific and crucial issues that may arise in the EU and R industry with respect to transfer pricing matters. Along with this initial podcast, we are also releasing a paper to highlight these initial topics. Today I have two of my transfer pricing colleagues with me, Safa and George. Could you guys introduce yourselves?
1: Hi Kenny, thank you and hi everyone. Thank you for joining. My name is Safa Gendun. I'm a transfer pricing partner with PwC in the Middle East and I look after the transfer pricing practice uh, for PwC in the Middle East.
2: Hi everybody, thanks for joining. Uh, my name is George Simoje. Uh, I'm a transfer pricing director uh, based in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and I and I'm part of the the transfer pricing team here in the Middle East as well. Thank you for joining.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Safa and George, for your introductions. So so let's um let's dive in and let's start talking a little bit about transfer pricing. So what I thought I'd do is just pose a few questions to you guys about transfer pricing. So let's start with. Could you guys share us a little bit of a high-level overview about how you view the energy sector and how it may give rise to specific tra- specific transfer pricing considerations in the Middle East region?
1: Thank you, Kenny. That's an important question. Uh, so, uh, to me, the global demand for oil and natural gas, and due to the increase in market liberalization, multinational enterprises participating in this industry have expanded their operations. Uh, While these expansions were occurring, a number of tax authorities in the region introduced transfer pricing regulations. Others have taken a more active, often aggressive, interest in transfer pricing, as well as the broader transfer pricing framework that has continued to become more sophisticated i.e. the release of the updated OECD transfer pricing guidelines from 2017 as well as the practical manual on transfer pricing for developing countries by United Nations in 2017 as well. So the correlation between the introduction, revision and enforcement of transfer pricing rules and regulations in the Middle East as well as the expanding operations of energy and resources multinationals means that transfer pricing will obviously continue to grow in importance within the energy and resources industry in the middle east
0: yeah excellent i think you're right i mean there's there's a lot of change happening in the world of international tax right and that certainly includes transfer pricing so i think that was a great overview So so given this global nature of the industry that we work in and the fact that multinationals undertake a large number of processes through their upstream, midstream, and downstream operations, there's ostensibly a broad range of transfer pricing issues that can arise. So what are some of the more common types of transfer pricing structures and issues that you guys have come across?
2: as multinationals operate in, in you know complex multi-jurisdictional value chains uh, which comprise a large number of processes you know it creates a web of related party transactions and co- corresponding transfer pricing issues which you know includes uh, things like you know commodity trading hubs centralized procurement organizations intercompany services a licensing of intangible property the leasing and transfer of equipment, and intercompany financing. You know, this is not a, an exhaustive list, uh, it does provide an overview of, of the type of issues that, you know, might be encountered um, with regards to the UNR sector. Yeah, thanks, George, I think that's, um, th- those
0: are obviously some key areas that we need to think about. So, so let's jump into a couple of these. You mentioned um, trading hubs and trading operations, and those are commonly established by the energy by energy companies to enable effective management of purchases and sale of commodities to and from both related and unrelated parties. When a company setting up a trading hub, what should the multinational consider?
1: Multiple aspects should be considered, Kenny, but the key consideration is certainly with respect to economic substance, as this aspect will impact the entitlement of entities being part of multinational enterprises to entrepreneurial returns. With this in mind, it is important to note that in order to ensure sufficient economic substance from a functional perspective, One framework that is used by multinationals to determine economic substance is a responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed, what we call the ratio analysis, and what we know as a tool inspired from management consulting.
0: Yeah, excellent. Thank you. I know everyone's focused in these, these days on economic substance, and we could do a whole series on economic substance, but I think that that's a good introduction to the topic. So as we as we go on down the list, another commonly seen structure, as you mentioned, is the centralized procurement organization. And these typically source products or commodities from suppliers taking full title for onward sales to related parties. So what are the implications for multiple multinationals that organize their procurement in this manner?
2: it is it is similar to the trading hub's uh, ultimately you know it's it's critical to ensure the robustness of the procurement principle uh, it is important that 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 entity has sufficient economic substance specifically you know whether the activity of the procurement procurement hub is of a mere aggregation of orders with no you know value added activities really being performed um, or whether it's 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 really a critical function that's that's being performed at that level, I think that would be something really important to to consider in the, in this regard.
0: And I, I think you're right. Obviously, we're coming back to economic substance again, but I think it is critical that you know the, these entities do have the type of substance and decision making. As we all know, one other topic is in this industry. There the way companies organize, there's a lot of intercompany transactions that take place to deliver what these companies deliver. These services can be administrative or technical in nature. So what's been your experience in this space from a transfer pricing perspective around these types of intercompany transactions?
1: Well, uh, at first instance, tax authorities, particularly in the Middle East region, are typically more comfortable seeing a cost plus approach to service charges rather than a percentage of sales or some other base. Common issues in respects of services include proof of benefits from the service recipient's perspective, determination of the cost base and determination of the level of markup applied to the cost base.
0: Excellent. All important things to think about as we're thinking about the provision of intercompany services. Another thing that I think everyone is focused on globally is intellectual property and intellectual property is a major component in most industries. And certainly in this industry, this is because the performance of many functions and the success of new approaches in the the discovery and development of oil fields are dependent upon a company's access to IP. So once again, what are the key things that companies should think about when they're thinking about transfer pricing as it relates to intellectual property?
2: There are there are critical areas, I think, from a UNR perspective here. So if we were to to consider specifically, um, you know, the know how the technology and, you know, especially in the upstream business, I mean, those are critical. And we have the case, for instance, with with the gas in, in the US. Um, you know the the, the, the the fracking the fracking technology that was developed to to be able to you know to for the, for multinationals to reach uh, those pockets of gas reserves that were not available i think that's critical and, and that derives value across the value chain if we look um, from a downstream perspective things uh, like of course branding uh, you know that 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 is quite critical as well as we know you know there are you know a handful of players and those brands are, are are quite strongly recognized in the market so i think ip and you know all those activities that that surround um, ip in the unr space you know are definitely a hot topic globally and in regionally and it I, I don't expect that to go away anytime soon uh, as the focus of tax authorities becomes more and more in those you know um uh, On those value-added activities okay excellent
0: also another thing we think we think about and we see a lot in this industry is vessels and or rig charters when we think about the offshore service industry there's a lot of vessels and rigs that move around the world that i think create certain complexities when we think about transfer pricing so What should people think about when they start thinking about leasing of vessels and moving of rigs around from a transfer pricing perspective?
1: So the structures through which vessel or rig charter companies operate often give rise to permanent establishment issues in the countries in which the vessels operate. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the attribution of profit to these entities can be complicated, Particularly given that functions are undertaken and risks are managed and controlled in relation to the charter, both inside the country and outside the country where the vessel is operating. Hence, it is important to establish a permanent establishment management framework and maintain it internally as operations grow internationally.
0: Yeah. I think that's critically important when we think about the movement of vessels, because we're talking about very high dollar assets that are moving around and I think this is very challenging. So in this podcast, we've only covered at a very high level some of the complex intercompany transactions in the sector that continue to draw increasing scrutiny by the tax authorities. So in order to tackle these challenges, what should energy multinationals be advised to do as it relates to transfer pricing?
2: Multinationals, um, you know, are advised to assess their group's inter- intergroup group transactions and also to adopt efficient global documentation strategies that can, you know, can be tailored to meet local requirements in higher risk and more complex countries um, and look, you know, to devise dispute resolution plans, both preventative and, and remedial. This should form, you know, a vital part of the enterprise risk management, uh, given that the consequences of not doing so effectively can lead to unanticipated you know, additional tax payable penalties and even potential reputational risks for, for these multinationals.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Safa and George, for sharing these very valuable insights. Um, to me, it's evident that there are quite a lot of areas and issues to consider from a transfer pricing perspective in this industry that are relevant or even crucial for us. Indeed, it appears that that we have only scratched the surface and therefore this introductory session paves the way forward for a series to come as we intend to take a deeper dive into various areas and issues that we have touched on this podcast. So stay tuned for future podcasts as we dive deeper into some of these transfer pricing matters.